So let me just take a moment and pray. Let's pray. Father, if we could leave our hearts wide open to that truth that has been sung over us and sung into us, there would be something different going forward. And we are so grateful that we have had that moment to seal that song deep within us. May your spirit stir within us whatever needs to be stirred so we could fully grasp to know that's not only true, but it's real. For Christ's sake. Amen. <clears throat> well, folks, I, I'm back where I love to be. I love being with Inter Interkept Presbyterian Church. I'm glad I got that right. Um, I, I was saying to Benji that, ironically, only God knows what he's doing in a really wise and important way. And I had actually been asked to speak this Sunday at another church. And for a variety of reasons, I chose to decline that invitation. And less than 24 hours later, I had the invitation to be here. Now, I'm excited about that. You can decide afterwards whether or not you think that was a good decision. <laughs> but I regret to inform you this morning that I am deeply concerned for Joyce. Uh, she has developed a serious short-term memory problem. <laughs> We're in Montreal in June. We played Euchre together with some other equally competitive people. And I saw results that were very different than what she reported to you today. <laughs> so my option is simply this. Did she lie or is she suffering short-term memory loss? I'll go with the short-term memory loss. I need to say one more thing, and I need to say it to you, Bench. I've often said that the measure of a leader shows up not when they're in that leadership position, but after they've left it. Because after they've left that leadership position, you quickly discover whether they developed loyalty to themselves or to the mission that they were trying to instill in people's lives. And I've had the thrill of working with Robin and a different team each week, and it's obvious, Benj, that you, you built deep into the musical, gifted people of this congregation a deep commitment to the mission, and I say thanks for that. That's the mark of a leader. <laughs> so now my conversation will move downwards. I, I was listening recently to sports talk radio. You know why I listen to sports talk radio. It has an amazing ability to raise your intellectual capacity way, way up. <laughs> and on this, this particular, some of you got that. On this particular occasion, the, the call-in host decided, I, I've got a topic here I'd like you to weigh in on with me. Have you ever been in a bar and won a contest. You know, the problem with sports talk radio is they don't necessarily define things like contest. And even the best fiction writer could not have ever imagined what came next. Because the first caller in is a guy by the name of Larry. Gator, do I have a story for you? Well, there's the intellectual level again. Even the names they use are high-level intellectual names, right? Gator. 
Gator, do I have a story for you? This is how Larry's story goes. See, I was in the bar one night, and I was hammered. And they announced that they were going to have a pie-eating contest. And I thought, what the heck? Gator, guess what? Even as inebriated as I was, I won. Now the, the conversation moves up to a new intellectual plane. So, Larry, what'd you win? Gator, I was surprised. I was surprised as, not church language, that I actually won that competition because I was out of my depth. <laughs> Interesting way of explaining inebriation, isn't it? Out of my depth. But as I listened to that conversation, I thought, there have been times when I've been out of my depth and I was sober. And you have been too. I'll bet just about everybody here can identify a moment in their lives when they felt, this is way bigger than me. I'm way in over my head. I'm clearly out of my depth. But I want to move from sports talk radio to talking about not those times when we've been out of our depth because of our own stupidity, but when we've been out of our depth because there's just something that is way, way bigger than us. I had a conversation early this week with a dear friend who said, I appreciate your prayers because my dad just had bladder surgery cancer and had to have the surgery to remove that cancer. And guess what? The same night that my dad's surgery was over, my mother suffered a heart attack. And the next day, another heart attack. And on Thursday morning, I got his text message, and it said, just need you to know at 2.30 this morning, my mom died, and I'd really appreciate you praying. And I knew that that wasn't the only set of circumstances that were really getting him out of his depth, because he actually used the words when he said, pray for my dad, because I think we all feel that we're out of our depth. I also knew that Brian and his wife were trying to make a critical decision about moving from Toronto to Vancouver because their two daughters and all their grandchildren live in Vancouver. So what I thought was very important is we understand there's a difference between being out of your depth because of your own stupidity and being out of your depth because of circumstances that, over which you have no control. But I'm going to take that even one step further, and I'm going to say it is entirely possible that we can be out of our depth because of a call that Christ has placed on our life, and we want to be obedient to that call. So for our purposes this morning, I just want to make sure we've got a clear definition of what it means to be out of your depth. And this is the definition we'll use. Involved in something that's beyond one's capabilities. Involved in something that is beyond one's cap capabilities. And what we're going to do now is we're going to walk our way through a scripture passage that again, as I said last week with the passage I used last week, is way too familiar for many of us. We've heard it, we've read it. And when we come to those passages, it's almost like we shut off our spirit and we say, nothing new here. So I'm going to ask you to do what I ask you to, 
uh, to do last week if you were with us. And I'm going to ask you to simply put a prayer on your heart as we read our way through this scripture. And the prayer is this. God, is there one or two words that you want me to hear specifically this morning out of what you have to say to me? God, is there one or two words that you need me to hear this morning that maybe I've never heard before from this passage? This morning we're going to find ourselves in a passage of Scripture that basically the same cast of characters pretty much that we were with last week in John 21, this time in Matthew chapter 14. And here's what that Scripture says. Immediately after this, this is uh, chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. If you, let me just make sure you know the context of this. Jesus has just fed this multitude of people. And it's just been an amazing display of the power of Christ to those who have been around, especially to his disciples. And now he insists they get in a boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sends the people home. And then after sending them, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And this is one of the favorite expressions that Jesus throws out time and time again to us. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. So was there something that God said to you this morning that maybe in one or two words really kind of grabbed your attention? Anything there? Two things for me. Two things that I, I really got my attention. Verse 22. Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Now that insisted that the disciples get back into the boat didn't catch my attention until I heard the words three verses later. Jesus came towards them walking on the water. And when we put those two thoughts together, this is what I think we get. We get this kind of key truth. Pursuing what Christ asks of me may get me in out of my depth, but he never leaves me there. He insisted they get into the boat, and what happens in the next three verses gets them in over their head, but he never leaves you there. That truth, let's just say it once again, pursuing what Christ ask, asks of me sometimes gets me in out of my depth, 
But he never leaves me there. But he never leaves me there. So I simply ask the question before we draw some application out of this, and the question is this. Is there anything in your life right now that appears more challenging than what you believe you can handle? It may be a relationship, it may be a job, it may be a responsibility you have, it may be a health issue, it may be, we could go down a long list. But the question is really quite simple. Is there anything happening in your life right now that appears more challenging than you feel you can handle? And more particularly, and this may be even more significant for some of you, is there anything in your life right now that Christ is asking of you that appears way bigger than you? And as you think about that and try to focus in and God brings something to your attention, let me just walk you through what was happening in this scenario once again before we draw those implications. The disciples have just witnessed Jesus do something that was extraordinary in huge proportions. And I'm sure it was no big surprise to them when he said, I want you to get in this boat. In fact, insisted you get in this boat and cross to the other side of the lake. No big deal. I mean, these guys are well familiar with boat operations. Many of them had been fishermen. But they also knew well the power of a storm. And maybe even more significantly, they knew how quickly storms could emerge on that lake and how, how powerful they could be. And in the midst of their fear and anxiety, guess what? Jesus comes walking to them on the water. A couple of weeks ago, I received a call from a couple I know only casually and asked if they could have a conversation with me. We set up a time, and when they got together with me, the story immediately began to, mom began to tell the story. She told about their 29-year-old son who many years ago had been diagnosed with a brainstem cancer. And it had led to a number of surgeries, seven surgeries I think this young man had been through over the years. Multiple uh, treatment by radiation and chemotherapy. But up until just recent days, he, he'd been doing really well. But then he began to suffer seizures. And they were used to medical crisis in his condition. This was no different. Ah, they thought it would be no different. Except when they got him into London and into to the diagnosis of what the medical community could do for him, they were very quickly to point out that they didn't have a clue what was causing his surgeries. And if they didn't have a clue what was, or sorry, what was causing his seizures, and if they didn't have a clue what was causing his seizures, guess what? They didn't have a clue what to do in terms of treatment. And every previous, on every previous occasion when son had been in critical medical situation, dad just fell apart. He's 85 years of age. He knows that his time is very limited. But the bottom line concern was not just about what was going to happen to his son. It was about would they be able to financially manage what was coming. Even more critically this time, because there was no specific diagnosis, their health insurance had informed them that they were not prepared 
to pay anything until they knew clearly what the diagnosis was. It's not just that dad gets bent out of shape by all of that. In these moments, his anger and disappointment becomes even more evident. And he just rages about what God is doing in their lives and why God hasn't protected their son. Mom's always been the rock. She's always been the one who clung to a conviction that Christ brought us here. Christ will see us through this. But it's different this time. And not only is dad and son struggling, but mom is now struggling both spiritually and emotionally. And the result is that all three of them find themselves in a storm of relational turmoil unlike anything they've ever experienced before. And perhaps this morning, though, your, your challenge may be very different than that. You can identify what it is to be in a stormy place and very uncertain about what lies ahead. And if you're there, let me just make four observations for you, if I could, this morning. Number one, and this is going to seem really strange, but often when challenge comes into our life or stormy times comes into our life, we look at it and we can say, this is easy. That's an initial reaction. Now, please understand that not every challenge we face, especially those brought to us by Christ, are, start off this way. Oh, that's easy. The Bible's full of examples of individuals whose spontaneous and immediate response to what Christ had placed in their path was, it's way bigger than what I'm capable of. And you, you and I, if we got together and had a casual conversation of this, about this, could cite multiple examples. So God steps in an unusual way and offers a challenge to Moses. Moses, all I need you to do is go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And what's Moses' immediate response? Not this is easy. Moses' immediate response is, you got the wrong guy. I can't speak. <laughs> or think about Gideon. I love the story of Gideon. God steps into his life and says, I got a challenge for you, Gideon. But the first thing he does is he wants to make an affirmation of him. And he says, Gideon, mighty man of valor. But where's Gideon when he says that to him? He's hiding in a wine press, hoping God didn't notice him. Hiding in the wine press. Many other I could cite, maybe Jeremiah. When God steps into his life and says, Jeremiah, I got a challenge for you, Jeremiah says, whoa, 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 two problems, God. Maybe he hadn't noticed I'm way too young and I don't speak all that well. So please, I understand that sometimes when stormy times comes into our life, our first reaction is not, oh, that's easy. Sometimes it's overwhelming right off the bat. But in this particular case, in Matthew chapter 14, when Christ steps in and says, I insist that you cross the lake in that boat, that's easy. We've done that. Many times we've done that. And when Christ steps into our lives and, and asks something of us, we can often sit back and say, that's well within my capabilities. That's well within my resources. That's well within my skill level. But don't be surprised if after we've done that initial, this is easy, we move to a second reaction or a second stage in this journey. 
And the second observation that I would make is this. I didn't see the storm coming. I just didn't see the storm coming. I need to make a very strong but important statement here. God is not surprised nor taken aback when we become fearful or overwhelmed in the face of storms. Did you hear, did you hear that? Uh, I gather you didn't hear that. I'm used to getting a little feedback here, folks. So let, let me say it once again, and if you want to get out on reasonable time, you'll say, yeah, I heard that, yeah. <laughs> God is neither surprised nor taken aback when we become fearful or overwhelmed in the face of storms. Did you get it? Okay. That helps me. You see, that's where Kathy is, the, 20, the mother of the 29-year-old. Having been through this kind of crisis time and time again, it was not a problem. But this time it's different. Because this time she didn't see the nature of the storm that was coming. And every statement she makes in the conversation we have when I begin to probe with her about her anxiety or her being off balance, every statement begins with, I shouldn't, and then she goes on to explain, I shouldn't be fearful. I shouldn't be concerned that we won't be able to manage this. I should, and we get all these shouldn'ts. And when you inquire as to why she thinks that way, she says, God will be displeased if I'm fearful. Let me be clear about one very important thing. When we look at Matthew chapter 14 and we ask ourselves, what was the source of the deepest fear that the disciples had. It was not the storm. I hope you caught that. It was not the storm. It was what they saw when they saw an apparition coming towards them walking on the water. Because their affirmation at that point is it's a ghost. And there's a profound lesson for all of us there. It's not necessarily the storm that gets us off balance or anxious or fearful or uncertain. It's what we start to think and see when we're in the midst of a storm. It's the things we weren't anticipating, things we imagined. I can think of a thousand things Jesus could say to the disciples when they cried out and said, it's a ghost, he could have said, no, it's not a ghost. But what did he say? This may just be the word that God wanted some of you to hear this morning when I re read my way through that passage. Instead, what he said, take courage, I'm here. And as only Peter can do, Peter gives us the observation, gives us the basis for our third observation. Maybe when the storm, maybe when we're asked to do something or we're facing a challenge in our life, first reaction is this is easy. But then it becomes very different. And our second reaction is, I didn't see the storm coming. And in the midst of the storm, Peter gives us this observation. 
He comes to the realization, this is way bigger than me. We're in a great place when we come to the place where we understand that something we're in the midst of is way bigger than us. Way, way bigger than us. Good old Peter. Jesus, all you need to do is tell me to walk to you on the water and I'll come. Okay, come. And he steps out of the boat and guess what? Immediately it's time to rescue Peter. This past fall I spent a week at Ontario Police College being trained to teach a program called Road to Mental Readiness for Police Officers. Great privilege for me to be able to do that. But that was a pretty demanding course for a guy my age. I passed, by the way. My boss didn't, which I think is great. But as I listened to the different things that the Canadian Mental Health Association had put together in that course, one thing really struck me, and it was this. The statistics in Canada say that only one in four people who are struggling with a mental illness will actually seek some kind of professional help. One in four. And in that particular context, I happened to ask my buddy who was a police officer who was there with me, I said, Tim, what do you think that statistic is for people working in law enforcement? And he said, my guess is probably one in 10. Because there's such stigma in that community with seeking help for mental health issues that I just don't think large numbers will ever do it. So if it's one in four for the Canadian, this is what Tim throws back at me. If it's one in four for the Canadian population, and I think one in 10 for people in law enforcement, what do you think the statistic is for people in churches? And I did what I do really best at that point. I said, Tim, that's not a fair question. But it is a fair question. Because many of us who have lived in the context of Christian community have been all too way reluctant to admit, this is way bigger than me. I need some help. And when we do that, when we hold out like that, it's a great dishonor to Christ because there's no surprises to him when we feel like we're in over our depth and anxiety sets in. And Peter takes a huge stride forward when he utters these words, Lord, if it's really you, if it's really you. And in that moment, he, he acknowledges I'm in a place in my life at this moment where this is way bigger than me. And permit me to make the fourth observation, and with this we'll wrap it up. It's not surprising when we get a challenge in our life, <coughs> excuse me, that our first response is, this is easy. But very quickly we come to discover, I didn't see the storm coming. And then, this is way bigger than me. And finally, this observation. I need you. I notice I didn't define you. Because it's not simply, I need you, God. It's not simply, I need you, Christ. But it's, I need you. I need you. 
Jesus has always demonstrated one thing in my mind. And he's always demonstrated a great desire to partner with those who acknowledge their need of him. My wife Jan, who's with me this morning, plays an active role in the leadership of Celebrate Recovery in our community. <coughs> Thanks, Peter. Um, plays an active role in the leadership of Celebrate Recovery. I don't believe there's a single person who is in a leadership role of responsibility with Celebrate Recovery who when they see an individual show up on, on Thursday night and that individual says, I'm in a desperate place and I need help, they turn and the first thing they say to that person is, you're one big sicko. Or, well, that's stupid. There's nothing that they would do to the person who says, I need help, that would make them feel that they'd made a mistake by asking for help. Every time we attempt to navigate stormy waters in our lives without freely acknowledging and openly acknowledging our need of help, we do it to service not only to ourselves, to one another, but to God and Christ and their, and their purposes in our lives. It's fascinating. When I threw myself open to reading this passage with this prayer, God, show me a word that I need to hear that I haven't heard before. He put two words. Three or four. And Jesus insisted, and he came to them walking on the water. I have a prayer for those of you this morning who recognize that you're in out of your depth. And the prayer is simply this. God's not caught off guard by that. He's not taken aback by your response to that when it's fearful and anxious. But he also wants this. He also wants this. He wants to come to you walking on the water. He wants to step into that with you. He wants to be part of that. He wants to walk you off to shore. Let's pray. Father, you can still our souls because you can still storms. And so for the person here this morning who is sitting before you and saying, I need you. I need your help. This is bigger than me. I wasn't prepared for the storm. I pray that you would step in and you would say this. Take courage. I am here. And may those words have real power in our lives this moment, this day, and going forward for Christ's sake. Amen.